Today's scripture reading is taken from the, book, from the New Testament in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 18 to 36. You may find these verses in your pew Bibles on page 1609 page 1609 Luke chapter 9 Verse 18 to 36. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put out three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. 
and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. morning. It's good to be able to see you all again and standing here before you. Um, your pastor's away because um, there was an executive board meeting yesterday and um, she is a conference secretary so she had to be there. I'm just a spare tire so I thought of bontanging the meeting anyway, because next week I got to go down to KL together with your brother Kofat for NSF consultation, so I wanted to save myself one extra running around. Uh, so when she asked whether I could unavailable, I said yes, and um, so I'm here. Um, good to see many old friends. Whenever I come here, I got to go around and say hello to all the people. And some. I was just thinking who I may have known the longest. Um, the person I could think of is Bolian, uh, because she was my Jeje's classmate, so I've known her since school days. <laughs> and there's Mrs. June, whom I gotten to know uh, what, back in 1972, and uh, together with Mr. Yoon in those days. But along the way, I met a lot, made a lot of friends, some whose name I can't remember. So you, 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 I can remember the face, but I can't remember the name, so you've got to explain, give your names to me. I was just thinking too, you know, that uh, just now, um, Zhong Jing was so focused on introducing the speaker and his wife, he forgot to welcome all of you. <laughs> we are all in God's house, right? And God's people will all be welcome here. And of course, he also forgot to welcome all the visitors. How many visitors are here, by the way? Who, how many of you consider yourself as visitors uh, who are not members of this church? I'm sure there are quite a number, because every time I come, I always see new faces. Typical Malaysians were a little, bit, a little bit shy to identify ourselves. <laughs> but it's okay. We are all among, in God's house, in God's family, among brothers and sisters. So we will get to know one another better. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we are here this morning in your house. And we are all guests. We are all been invited to come into your house because of your grace and mercy. Some of, know that, some of us know already that we belong to you. Many of us, some of us may be still be wondering. But nevertheless, we all know that we're here because of your goodness and love. Your salvation and forgiveness may be available to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord and help us to walk with you until we become permanent residents in your house, in your home, 
when we see you face to face. And we thank you that we can come here to worship you, to give thanks to you, to sing praises to you, to partake of the Holy Communion later on. We thank you that you have given us your word for us to know you better, to grow in understanding of what it means to follow you, our God, and follow your Son, Jesus Christ. So we ask, Lord, that you speak to us this morning as we look at your word now. Anoint our hearts, our minds, anoint our ears, my lips, that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to, acceptable to you, O Lord our God and Redeemer. Amen. I'm following the series that, um, that your church has been embarked on in the study of the Gospel of Luke and what it means for a church of disciples and a discipling church. And so today's passage is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 1, sorry, 18 to 36. And um, I don't have a PowerPoint for today. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So you will need to keep your Bibles open to that passage as we will be making reference to it. I believe that the Luke chapter 9 marks a turning point in the gospel narrative in Luke. If you've been reading through the gospel of Luke, you know that here, Jesus was winding up his more public ministry to the crowds, as it were. And, of course, it's right after the feeding of the 5,000. And he was focusing on the training of the disciples. And if you look at your text, you know that he has sent out the 12 in verses 1 to 6. And then you find that there's a record that he sent out the 72 in the following chapter. But more importantly, at the end of chapter 9, actually right towards the end of chapter 9, not right at the end, Mark, sorry, verse 51 makes a very, very interesting statement. He set his face towards Jerusalem. It's like set, as he was setting in stone, he made up his mind to go to Jerusalem. Nothing is going to change his purpose. This was going to be his final earthly destination, and we know what happened there. But even as he did that, he had wanted to make sure that his disciples have a fuller and clearer understanding of who he really was. It's important for us to know who Jesus is, isn't it? It's only because when we know who Jesus really is, then we know why he come, came, and we also know why we are here as God's people, as followers of Jesus Christ. So the disciples needed to know that. And this passage tells us what Jesus tried to do. And so in your outline, I've said there are three points, who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? The Messiah. But what kind of Messiah? 
And more and fine, third point, that he really is a son of God. Now, um, some of you may know this, but I just thought it may be good for us to remind ourselves that the word Messiah is from the word from the Hebrew word. Um, as opposed, which simply means anointed, anointed, or chosen. If you are chosen, you are anointed, all right? And the Greek word for being anointed is Christos, Christ. So Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Um, one word is not holier or better than the other word. <laughs> Uh, always remember that we want to communicate in a way that people understand, not confuse them. So whether you're Messiah or Christ, it means the same thing. But I like how Luke introduced this passage. Once when Jesus was what? What does the text say? Praying. He was praying in private and his disciples were with him. I think it's important to note that Jesus had an important decision to make and he spent time praying, seeking God's guidance and wisdom. We may not notice this very much because we tend to just read the gospel as a story. But the word praying and its various forms appear quite a number of times. You want to know? It's exactly 27 times in the Gospel of Luke. But with a simple phrase like that, Luke emphasized that our Lord Jesus sought the Father, as was his usual practice whenever he had to make a decision. Something we must remember and learn. He knew that his time to go to Jerusalem had come, and he would be going to Jerusalem to go to his death. And his disciples needed some assurance that they were not simply following the wrong teacher or the Messiah or the rabbi. He had to make sure they knew what was going on. And he spent time praying first. Having said that, then he asked them, who do you think that I am? In verse 20, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. That is to say, the Messiah. Which means for the Jews, the one that they were all looking for, the one that God has promised, the one that God would send to guide his people. Now, obviously, a spiritual truth like this a spiritual understanding like that does not come from the human flesh or the spirit. Only God could have given him that understanding. And as we read that, the same thing in, Matt, in the Gospel of Matthew, that Peter was in place because God had revealed that to him. Peter, of course, was speaking as a representative of all the 12 disciples, Revealed that they, among them, have come to know and believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that they are all looking for. The question we need to ask, however, is 
What kind of Messiah were they looking for? What kind of Christ were they expecting? What would Jesus as a Messiah do for them? Or what did the Messiah mean to them? I think we need to ask ourselves this question too. Each of us need to do that. What does the Messiah, what does Jesus mean to you? And so we come to the next part. The disciples had a wrong or incorrect or incomplete understanding of the Messiah. They knew that he was chosen by God. They knew that he would come and deliver God's people. But what did that mean? And when Jesus started talking about the fact that he would suffer and die, Peter actually rebuilt him and said, you can't do that. As you remember, um, Dr. Carson saying, when Peter said to Jesus, never, Lord, can you ever say never to your Lord? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But it was something that was totally out of their conception. And you, you read also from the rest of the Gospels, not just in Luke but in the others, that the disciples were constantly what? Bickering among themselves about who will be number one next to Jesus, isn't it? They thought they, they would all be great. They were whole high positions of honor. Sometimes, unfortunately, in some churches, we still do that. But Jesus had to let them know in no uncertain terms what kind of Messiah he really was, what kind of Christ he was to be. And so in verse 27, we read, sorry, 20, 22, sorry, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. There's all the, all the top people in the, among the people, the leaders, the ones who should know. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus had to teach them a few things. The Messiah had to suffer. He had to face persecution and death. It was a totally alien concept in the eyes of the world, Jewish or otherwise. No leader dies by becoming a leader. No person becomes great by yielding themselves to those in authority. Blessed are the meek is something that is not of this world. And he, he, had let them, he had to let them know that his values, God's values, the kingdom values, do not belong to this world. It's only available from God. What it means is, as the Messiah, there was a price to pay for Jesus to walk in obedience and humbly with God. And that's why we read that Jesus prayed so often, isn't it? And his most agonized prayer was on the night he was being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He had to struggle with himself. And God ministered to him. But he had to learn what it means to walk in obedience to God. And we are told of that in no certain terms in the letter to the Hebrews. He told them that it's still not quite registered in their minds. Then he went on in the, from verses 23 to 27 to let them know what it meant for them to follow him, this Messiah that was going to die. Anyone who would follow Jesus must be prepared to die. Let me repeat that in case you haven't heard that properly. Anyone who follows Jesus must be prepared to die in the way that Jesus himself was prepared to die. And more than that, not just die once, but again and again. Because this is what Jesus said. Anyone who would come after me, he must deny himself. You know what that means? Say no to yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Most of us, especially those of us who grew up in English schools and read all kinds of English books about you have a cross to bear. I have a cross to bear because I got a wife that's terrible or a boss that won't let me enjoy myself. It's a heavy burden, isn't it? It's a big pain in the neck. Sorry, that's not what Jesus meant. At Jesus' time, in Jesus' days, anyone who carries a cross will carry to the point where he will be nailed to the cross and crucified. And that's what happened to Jesus. And that means if you carry a cross, you have to carry a cross, you're going to die. And then Jesus said, it is daily. What this means is, every day we must learn what it means to die to ourselves. Say no to ourselves. And follow Jesus. Remember, Jesus, the Bible said in Samuel, when Saul tried to, to do the things he did not do, and he was told that obedience is more important than sacrifice. And we need to remember that, to die to ourselves daily. A person then, all of us who want to follow Jesus Christ, must be able to say that to ourselves. Not physically, not literally, but spiritually in our hearts. But let me remind us, all of us, this. This was no more than what Jesus himself had to do. When he went through life on earth for the 30 over years, every time his disciples couldn't understand what was going on, that any time the disciples fight among themselves, don't you think Jesus would die to himself and not yell at them? Jesus never asked us to do what he himself did not do. 
He had to deny himself again and again in order to obey his father. And we need to learn to know what that means and then hopefully to learn to put that into practice. Then he gives them some practical implications, what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to die to oneself. Look at verses 24 and so on. Verse 24, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. The implication is obvious, isn't it? Do you want to save your earthly life for a few more years? No matter how many more years we have? Or would you rather save your life for all eternity? Whoever loses his life will save it. Then verse 25. What good is it for a man, for a person to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? He could not have made it more clear to the disciples. The choice is yours. What do you choose? What is more important to you? This world the whole world for that matter, for a few more years, or your life for all eternity, forever. Once he put it in this manner, I think the answer is clear, isn't it? Then verse 26, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. In order to drive home the point, to make absolutely clear what it means to follow Jesus Christ, Jesus said, that reminded them that he will be coming again in power and in glory. Look at the first again. In his glory and in the glory of the Father and in the glory of the holy angels. Jesus will come again all the glory of the whole universe if you reject him now in this life. He will have no choice but to reject you when he comes. When it really, really matters on the final day, should I say, on the final day of the final reckoning and judgment. No more second chance. That's it. Jesus could not have made clearer, and we need to read through verses 24 to 25 and 26 carefully, and spend time saying, Lord, teach me to know what that means. That's an old hymn in your hymnal 530, Are You Able? Remember that? Some of us. Are ye able, said the Master, to be crucified with me? Yea, the sturdy dreamer's answer, to the death we follow thee. And of course, Peter and the disciples all say they'll follow him, but when the crunch came, they all ran away, isn't it? Now, we need to ask ourselves, what will happen? See, they did not have the full picture. John the Baptist did never had the chance to see the full picture. But now, we have a clearer picture. 
To him goes on to say, Are you able? Still the master whispers down eternity. And what's the response? Lord, we are able. Our spirits are thine. We mold them. Make us like thee divine. Thy guiding radiance above us shall be. A beacon to God, to love and to loyalty. So questions. Are we able to respond in this manner to our Lord's call to follow him? We need to ask ourselves, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? And what is the level of my commitment to him? But then you note that Jesus gave them a promise, isn't it? Look at verse 27. I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. The focus on the kingdom of God. They will see the kingdom of God. Now, question is, what does this verse mean? There are many, many interpretations. If you read the commentaries, my simple answer when I deal with situations like that is this. If there are many answers, that means nobody knows the right answer. <laughs> so if you don't know what it means, don't worry too much because nobody knows. The best scholar don't know. But I will tell you what I think it means. Okay, to help you, I hope. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he came to establish the kingdom of God. And we know that it has now been established after his death and his resurrection. But we also know that he will come in his fullness and his full power at his second coming. So we are in between times. All right? We see the kingdom of God. We know the kingdom of God is but if you don't see it all its fullness. Now, John the Baptist did not get to see any of this before he died. That's why Jesus said, even the least in the kingdom of God is more blessed than John the Baptist. Humanly speaking, how could that be? But that's what it means. We are more blessed than him because we have a big, clearer picture. Stephen, the first martyr, saw a vision of the exalted Christ before he was stoned to death. And James, the brother John, was beheaded very early, recorded in Acts chapter 12. Now, but many, many of the disciples were able to see the growth and the expansion of the church of Jesus Christ in spite of all the persecution from the Jews and from the Romans. They began to see that the kingdom of God is real and is growing. And this was what Jesus promised to them. And so they served their master, their teacher, their Christ, their Savior. They saw a glimpse of the kingdom of God, though not in its fullness yet. Now, then we also need to ask ourselves the question, even as Jesus promised that we, have, we have, are able to see the kingdom of God, is the price of following Jesus Christ worth the sacrifice? You have to ask people like Peter and John and Paul. You have to ask Raymond Cole when you get a chance to see him again. You have to ask 
Joshi Hilmi and his wife Ruth, and many, many others. And the answer to you will be a definite yes. My question to all of us is, and to myself is, am I able to say that? Let's move on to the third point. Jesus was a Messiah, but a suffering Messiah, a Messiah who died to fulfill God's purpose. But he was more than the Messiah, isn't it? And he wanted the disciples to have a clearer knowledge of who he really was. They were not able to understand the whole truth because the, the crucifixion and the resurrection was not yet. But they also, he also needed to give them a glimpse, a clearer glimpse of the whole picture. So we read that he took Peter, John, and James to a mountain. Now, before you get jealous and think that being chosen for special knowledge and service is a real privilege, remember that Peter also had a terrible and embarrassing and even shameful experience of having to deny his teacher. But of course, later on, Many years later, after years and years of faithful service, he was martyred and according to tradition, crucified upside down because he felt he was not qualified, not worthy to die in the same way as his master died. They asked to be crucified upside down. John died of old age. Now, why was his brother killed so early and he died always? We have to ask Jesus. But he died in exile and after much persecution too. And of course, James, his brother, was the first apostle to die as a martyr, beheaded by King Herod, as I mentioned earlier. So, any one of us here want to volunteer for special service? Just follow Jesus. That's the important thing. And do what he's given you, giving you to do. No need to volunteer and be a hero. But reading on, if you look at verse 28, you notice the word went up to the mountain to pray. We must not think like that. The Lord Jesus was again seeking guidance and wisdom. And the most natural thing for him was to seek the Father's guidance. And this time, the Father chose to reveal his glory to him and to the disciples. Again, if you are a little confused about the de details in this passage, don't worry. The basic rule of understanding the Bible is simply this. Seek to understand as much as you can what you can understand. And trust God for the rest that is not clear, that is hard to understand because in time to come, as you learn to read the Bible more and more and trust God more and more, He will grant you clearer understanding. 
And as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of things that even the best Bible scholars who spend their lives studying, whole lives studying the Bible, still don't understand because they're still arguing with one another about what the correct interpretation is. Uh, nevertheless, when we get to heaven, we understand more clearly. But right now, don't worry too much. But what do we read gain from this passage? Verses 20, this section of the passage is usually known as a transfiguration. That means Jesus' figure was changed. Now, what we can understand is simply this. First, it was very probable, probably, that Jesus would pray late into the night, as he often did. And of course, the disciples, like many of us, fell asleep. And when they woke up, rather groggy and confused, sometimes you don't know where you are, even though you're sleeping at home because of a bad dream, you forgot where you are, right? And as usual, Peter opened his big mouth without thinking. He didn't know what he was saying. Read that. <laughs> he didn't know what he was saying. Okay. It's simply that even among the Jews, they follow God, obey his laws, but also read that they set up shrines or booths for the saints. And that's why they have all this. And you read that, you pick that in the Gospels. And so Peter said, okay, why don't we do this? Set up three booths. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What happened was, they saw Jesus in all his glory, shining as lightning. Now, how bright is lightning? Now, you can. How to describe that? But remember, Moses came down from the mountain, shining very brightly. Remember that Isaiah saw God in the temple, a vision of God in the temple. And now, they saw Jesus, like Moses, like the angels. But they also saw that they were talking to him. Moses and Elijah, who had died long ago. But the passage indicates that they were alive and they were talking to Jesus about his departure, meaning his death. He will, he's going away, and that will be fulfilled in Jerusalem. You may want to ask why Moses and Elijah. Some suggest the answer. I'm not going to give, go into all the arguments and details. Remember that Moses was a servant of God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. You all know that. More importantly, he, through Moses, God gave the, his people his laws. So he was the one that helped the Israelites to become a covenant people of God. Over the years, they moved away and drifted away from the covenant. And what happened? During Elijah's time, they were all worshipping other gods. And Elijah was a prophet and the servant of God who challenged the king and all the prophets of Baal and called the people back to covenant God. And he actually said, who do you want to serve? And after the fright or the magnificent display, 
In no uncertain terms that God was real, they said they would rather follow God. But of course, again, we read that they drifted away. But the point is, both Elijah, Moses and Elijah constituted God's reminder to the Israelites, to the people of the covenant with God, who had always remained faithful to his word and his promises. And now, a reminder that Jesus had come to bring his covenant to fulfillment. That's one indication. You may also remember that neither Moses nor Elijah were buried by the people. Moses died as recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 34, and God buried him. How did they know that? How did God bury him? We don't know. But the other thing, more interesting thing is about Elijah was what? He didn't die, right? <laughs> the chariots of fire carried him away. But let's not get distracted by all these interesting things. But look at the point, the reason why Jesus was revealed in all his glory to Peter, John, and James. Look at verse 35. A voice on a cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. First, it was clear that God the Father was speaking to them, that this Jesus, their teacher and rabbi, was more than just a messiah. And more than just a son of man, and Jesus called himself, he was in fact the son of God. Not that they could understand at that point of time what he, that meant. And that he had come down to earth, he represented God himself. Which means, when he spoke, he was speaking God's words. And they needed to listen and pay attention to everything he said. And of course, in time to come, they understood it better and better. So not, this is a son, my chosen one, my Messiah. And so listen to him. And I think we all know English well enough to know that listen and hearing are two different things, right? All of us, our parents, know that. <laughs> we don't just hear, but listen. Now the disciples come to know that Jesus is really the Messiah, the Son of God. He was really the one that they had all been waiting for and longing for. He was really the chosen one of God. He was really, really the Messiah because he was the Son of God. Coming to the end of this passage, we need to remember this. It is not that the disciples identified Jesus as the Messiah, but rather, Jesus the Messiah had revealed himself to them, who he really was. It's good to, for us to remember that. It's not that we come to know God. We come to know Jesus Christ. But because Jesus chose to make himself known to us, God made himself known. Even though we don't know everything about God, about Jesus Christ, we know enough to be able to follow him. So in conclusion, let me just say this quickly. 
as we look at the Gospels, in time to come after the resurrection, Jesus returned to heaven. And when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, sorry, the disciples learned more and more about who their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was. And so they began to proclaim the good news and went all over the world. And they, particularly all of them, eventually gave their life in service to the king for the sake of the kingdom. Are we listening to the chosen Son of God? As New Testament people, we know better today than the disciples knew who Jesus was and how desperately this world, our world today, need Jesus, need to know Jesus. We read in this passage, in verse 18, 21, and 36, the disciples kept the knowledge of the Son of God to themselves because it was not yet time to reveal the truth. But after the resurrection, after Pentecost, they went and proclaimed the good news. As the kingdom people of God, we too have been commanded to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to all peoples, to all nations. Question. Are you and I willing to give our lives, take up our cross and follow him? There's one other hymn I'd like to share with you. Hymn 415. Take up thy cross, the Savior said, if thou wouldst my disciples be. My disciple be is an address to each one of us. Deny thyself the world for sake and humbly follow after me. Take up thy cross, let not its weight. Fill thy weak spirit with alarm. His strength shall bear thy spirit up and praise thy heart and nerve, that means strengthen your arm. Take up thy cross, nor heed the shame, nor let thy foolish pride rebel. Thy Lord for thee the cross endure to save thy soul from death and hell. Take up thy cross and follow thee, and follow Christ, nor think till death to lay it down. For only those who bear the cross may hope to wear the glorious crown. Jesus would acknowledge you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us and we have been given the truth of who you are. The Messiah, the glorious Son of God and Son of Man. And you gave your life to save us. Help us to know you better, Lord and to follow after you and learn to listen and obey to you.
even as you call us, we know that you have strengthened us. You have poured your Holy Spirit upon us. And as we prepare to come to the table, to celebrate the Holy Communion, and to give thanks to you for this gift, help us to humble ourselves before you, draw nearer to you, and be strengthened by you. Amen. And let's